welcome to Close Responders. Today's on the podcast. As always, I am Let's jump right into our first set of questions about being the first responder. So, Mr. Avalos, what department do you work at as a firefighter? I work for a SWAN, fire, and EMS. How long were you a firefighter? I was a firefighter for 10 years, Caleb. Do you have any memories from being a firefighter? If so, can you tell me some? Sure, I have a, I have a lot of memories over those times, but... Uh, one of my favorite memories that stands out was uh, early 2000s when we had an ice storm. I was already an assistant principal here at the high school, and uh, school was being called off because of the ice storm. So uh, found out about 6:20 about the ice storm, and at about 6:30 the toner went off, and uh, so I went to the fire station, and uh, we went to a uh, bad accident out on the turnpike. And uh, from there, we had accidents all day, and we had calls all day. I, I believe the uh, we set a record, and I think the record was 62. It was either 62 or 63 calls up to that time. And I was on 50-some uh, of those uh, calls. And uh, during that day, we went to one house that had this huge wire hanging off the telephone pole. And it was laying across the car and into the driveway. And I'm sitting on the rig thinking, what does is, what is this lady want us to do? I'm not touching her. They have to wait for, the, for uh, Toledo Edison or somebody to mess with that. But uh, one of the old guys on the rig with us, he's looking at the wire and he's looking at the, uh, you know, where it sat, on the, where it was supposed to be hanging. And I uh, kept looking back and forth. And he just walked up to a bare-handed the wire and threw it off the car and off the driveway. I thought he was going to die, and I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I couldn't believe it. But uh, nothing happened, uh, so he knew apparently that that wire was okay, okay to grab. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's some of the dangers about being a firefighter is that you can't necessarily, you don't think about live wires and what the impact could be if you touch it or if you do get electrocuted, especially with structural fires. Exactly. The next set of questions about your time in the military. So what branch of the military did you serve in? I was in the United States Army. What was your highest rank? My highest rank was captain. What tasks or jobs did you do? Well, I had several. Early on, I was in the Airborne, and I was a uh, company executive officer. And uh, from there... Uh, we got deactivated in '94, uh, so I ended up going to the military police unit. And in the military police unit, I was a platoon leader and a com- com- acting company executive officer. Basically, I was the second uh, second uh, in the company to uh, assist the commander. And then uh, from there, I ended up uh, going into the uh, engineers. Uh, I got out of the military, went into the engineers, and. 2002 uh, as a uh, battalion uh, S2, which is intelligence officer, and then eventually I became company commander, and that's when I went to the war. So I was a combat commander at war in uh, 2004, 2005. 
operation I went through the whole week. So you were part of the events leading after 9-11? Exactly, yes. Wow. How long did you serve our country? Basically, I was about uh, close to 18 years, but some of those years uh, didn't get counted. I was kind of uh, very surprised to find out. Uh, early on, the uh, records weren't always uh, perfect. Uh, I know some of my records got lost, which happened back then because it was long you know, before everything was on computers and that sort. So, but uh, basically, yeah, just about 18 years. So, as you mentioned earlier, we did go to run your part of that. Um, so, you did serve during wartime and some of peacetime also? Absolutely. Uh, I, I actually. I became a uh, platoon lead, or I'm sorry, a, a lieutenant in uh, 1990. Uh, so as a lieutenant, I was already in during Desert Storm, Desert Shield. I kept trying to go over there, but uh, it was kind of, I mean, funny now, later on, but at that time I was aggravated because they wouldn't let me go, and uh, I kept calling, and basically I was told, listen, we got enough lieutenants, we don't need another one. All right, carry on. <laughs> What was base like? What was base life like on the base? Well, I can tell you that uh, I, I was unfortunate enough uh, to uh, know, understand base life as a dependent as well. I grew up in the military. Uh, my my, uh, my stepdad was a Marine. My, my dad was Army. And uh, I really enjoyed base life as a dependent. Uh, I got to live all over the world. I lived in uh, West Berlin back in the early 70s uh, during the amazing historical times uh, over there. And then I lived in Okinawa, Japan as a dependent uh, in 1980 when we uh, were, were ready to uh, go to war uh, because of the uh, hostages, our Iranian hostages. We were ready to go to war, but especially when, because we knew that uh, when President Reagan got elected, we were going to go to war because we weren't going to play games with uh, Ayatollah Khomeini and that sort of so, but uh, growing up on bases uh, outside of the United States was uh, was a lot of fun. We got to, as kids, we got to experience things that no one else would get to experience. And then, uh, but as a uh, as a soldier myself, uh, the, the times that I was on base was, you know, it was like going to work, but just going to work in a green uniform. And whether it be out in the field or in an office or that sort. So, you know, it was a little different as, uh, as the person to be in that thing That's very cool. Do you have any more memories from your time in the military you like to share about? Well, I can tell you that I have a lot of different types of memories. Uh, when I was in the Airborne, I got to do things that no one ever could do outside of the doing a lot of different things with uh, people, doing things that you would, uh, you got, in the military, if you choose to do certain jobs, you know, you had an opportunity to uh, to do things that you would never be able to do as a civilian, and I chose that route instead of learning the skill, but in doing so, you know, you put your body to the test, and the one thing I learned out of the military is that you really can't do whatever you want to do, you just have to do it. 
because your body can take far more than you'll ever think it can. You just have to have a proper mindset to make it. So that's one of my best memories and the best things I took from the military. And then as far as uh, you know, working with people that were amazing people, uh, that was uh, that was pretty cool. And I got to work with uh, great leaders, great soldiers. say this too. Uh, as a dependent, I was a dependent back in uh, up into the 80s, the middle 80s. So our dads were high-ranking soldiers when we were teenagers in high school. Uh, so a lot of the a lot of the guys that were dads of my friends uh, were were all Vietnam vets that had done some uh, extraordinary things in the military. And they were either Colonels or above, or gunnery sergeants and above, because we went to Marine High School. And, uh, so you find out that these dads, and you don't, you don't think much about it as a kid, but it was really uh, some Medal of Honor winners uh, of, uh, that were parents of my friends. Uh, so, you know, as an adult military, you're like, oh, God, it's, it's and, uh, these are just some impressive leaders. That, uh, that you know, you do a dance and you actually work with them. It's pretty neat stuff. What was like combat like for you? Like, was it like feel full? Or, like, did you go get like adrenaline? Were you like anxious? What was it? Well, it's like? different. Uh, I can tell you that when I was getting ready to lead the GAC uh, from the GAC is ground assault convoy uh, from, from, uh, from uh, Kuwait up to northern Iraq. Uh, it was uh, that night before I didn't really sleep because I'm going over everything because I was in charge and I, you know, I had to make sure that we did the things right. And, uh, so I was anxious that night and then we landed in Navstar, which is uh, right across into, getting ready to cross into Iraq. And it was a big staging area, and I let my, my soldiers were sleeping, but I only slept for about two hours. I slept on the hood of a Humvee because it was warm, and um, but I only got to take a nap because I had to get up and I'd get briefed. And in about, I believe it was uh, zero three hundred hours, I got the guys ready, they're getting ready to roll out, and I gave a, you know, I had to talk to the vehicle commanders, and then took off. So, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was an interesting time. We didn't sleep for basically three days. And then, uh, and then after that, I slept for about a day and a half. It was pretty nice. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. I mean, um, we were actually, you know, I was in some interesting areas. So you get used to it. It's just like, you know, you at, at first you're getting attacked. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely different. And then it becomes your own. So it's just your job, it's your normal job. So I can tell you that it's it's however you take it, it's however you let yourself deal with things that makes a difference. And that's just like in anything you do. It's, uh, what matters is how you perceive it and how you attack it. And that's the biggest thing that makes a difference for people, in my opinion. I mean, I can completely agree with that because doing like, as I talked about last episode, um, the 
your first call as a first responder is so similar, like, it is what you make of it, and like, do you want to be anxious, be nervous, and like, every time you hold the tone shop, even though it's not your station, you run off, get ready, and it's just, I can relate to that, right. almost, as being just a kid getting ready to learn, and you know, you're not really a kid as a captain, it's just, you get these nerves, and you feel like you have a job to do, and you just have to do it, especially as a leader like you. Yeah, and, and, exactly, and, uh, and one, one thing too, though, is it's very important is that you have a lot of, if you're the commander, you have a lot of people uh, working for you to, to get the job done. And you, have to, you have to know those individuals very well so that you can know, you, you, you know how you can trust them, what jobs to give them to make sure that they're successful because, you know, your company's going to be successful when you have the right people doing the right jobs. And uh, that's very important. And once you get that established, or you know it's established, then you can rest a lot easier in knowing that the people that are supporting the task for your company are going to make it happen and take care of their soldiers. And I was very fortunate to have a lot of good senior NCOs who were very knowledgeable, and they were taking care of the young guys and gals. And uh, that made a huge difference. Really you know, if there could be a, if there could be a great scenario in war, that truly was it. Having the right people in the right positions, and and and, and having and, and trusting them that they're going to do their job because I was able to do that, and that was very nice. The next series of questions are going to be about post-military life. So, where did you go to college? Well, I uh, toured the college circuit, quite honestly. I started off at Appalachian State, and then I went down to Coastal Carolina. And then from there, I, I uh, earned my, finished out my bachelor's at University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Uh, and then after doing that, I went to the, uh, I went up here, moved up here to Ohio, and I had to get a, take a couple classes. So I took a couple classes at Bowling Green, and to, to make sure that my certificate was, was covered for teaching up here. And then uh, eventually I would uh, go to the University of Toledo and earn my master's degree. So those are the different colleges that I have. What inspired you to become an educator? Well, I can tell you that it's my life. My life inspired me to become an educator. Again, living in Europe back in the early 70s is a very, very big time in history. Uh, there were a lot of, uh, this, that was the time that uh, the Palestinians and, and, and different organizations, the PLO, they were, they were taking over airplanes and uh, they were blowing up discotheques and that's, and that's where I would live. They, they were doing the stuff where I lived. And, uh, and, and it was also the time of uh, Richard Nixon, Watergate scandal. Uh, we were listening to all this stuff on the radio. Everything with Armed Forces uh, Network, or American Forces Network on the radio, that's where we heard everything. And uh, it was just a very big, a lot of things went on time. Uh, to include uh, the, uh, the hostage and, and uh, the, the assault at Munich, the Munich Massacre, I lived there. 
I'd moved to Germany right before that happened. So uh, a lot of a lot of things going on in that. And then again, when I lived in Okinawa, we had uh, we boycotted the Olympics. Uh, we had the uh, Ayatollah Khomeini and the uh, 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 the hostages and that sort of. So there were a lot of things going on that influenced that that I I mean I paid attention to because our dads were a part of that stuff, ready to go to war and that sort. So uh, that life uh, really influenced me on wanting to be a history teacher because I got to uh, experience from the sidelines, but still got to experience it. And moving all over the world, that made a big difference. Uh, living in different places in America, that made a big difference. So uh, all these things would uh, mold me into wanting to be a history teacher. How did you meet your wife? I met her at Rogers High School. Uh, we were we were both uh, teachers at Rogers High School. That's how we met. So I heard that you have a brand new grandbaby. We do. Uh, she's a little two-month-old uh, young young lady named Reagan. Uh, we'll be calling her my favorite president. <laughs> but uh, no, she's a uh, she's a beautiful little girl. It's a pretty pretty neat experience uh, you know, having that little. Uh, I've had nothing but boys, I have three sons, so having one of my granddaughters is really different. So we look forward to uh, the future. As we close our time today, I would like to thank Mr. Avalos for joining me today, and thank you for serving our country. Uh, thank you for listening to Buffer Podcast. As a reminder, you can send me your questions and contact me at calebwi23 at mybuffer.us. You can ask me your, your questions about the stories I tell, and just ask other questions. That's all the time I have today. I would like to thank you once again, and I'll see you next time on First Responder Stories.